everybody, we're here at Pagosa Springs, Colorado, having a great time. All 13 of us and our family are here. We're enjoying the weather, it's been awesome. We've got some snow we've been playing in, and we're looking forward to going there, to Wolf Creek Pass, to climb that mountain. But for this week, I'm glad that Kyle Rogers is filling in. I know you'll hear him and hear what God has to say. I'm looking forward to being back next week. I'll show you some footage from up there. We'll see what it's like when you climb that mountain. God calls us to climb mountains of faith, and we're going to do that here tomorrow. So I look forward to seeing you next week, and we will climb that mountain. Wasn't that an awesome time in worship? Man, I feel like I could just say yes, amen, Jesus, sit back down, and we can just do that all over again. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm honored to be here, honored to be with us this morning. Um, I want to just start off by saying my personal belief is that every good sermon is really nothing more than kind of opening up a window into the soul and showing you some of the things that God's been wrestling in my heart with and hoping that encourages all of us as the body. Um, I don't stand up before you this morning as someone who's got it figured out. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, but hopefully what I can share with us this morning is some of my journey of all of us are just these people that for some reason God has seen value in when we didn't see it at all ourselves and has said, I choose you for my team and I want greatness for you. And I believe that's what God has for all of us this morning. So I'm excited about what it is that I have to share with us. I'm excited for what I think God wants to do in us, in our church, in this community, in the world. And I hope you're ready for it too. Uh, let's pray and then we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you that everything good in us comes from you. Lord, thank you that the Bible says that while we were still sinners, you saved us. Lord, it wasn't anything good in ourselves. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But God, you chose to love us anyways. Lord, may that love, may that compassion May that grace be the reason why we do everything that we do. Lord, I pray this morning that as your word goes forth, that it would not return to you void, but it would reap the harvest that you intended. God, may you open our ears to hear. May you encourage our spirits. And Lord, may we be attentive to what you're doing in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question that I thought intended for you to live it, is that even part of the question? I think a lot of times in society, things that define success are things like a bank account, things like a job, things like a house, a car, the clothes that you drive, the friends that you, you have, the circles that you run in. But I don't think that's all that it comes to when it comes to success. I question a lot of times in my own life, what voices am I listening to when it comes to whether or not I'm successful? When it comes to whether or not I'm on the path that God has for me, what voices am I listening to the question that I want to ask you is, who do you say that I am? When you're thinking about your life, what influences are filling in that question for you? Who do you say that I am? You see, there's this really awesome passage in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus has a conversation about who do you say that I am with one of his disciples, and that's where we're going to start this morning. And a lot of times that passage is used to talk about how Jesus is the Christ and he's revealing his identity as the Christ, but I kind of want to take a little bit of a different spin on that and recognize what is it that's at work in our lives for us to come to the place where we know for ourselves, who are we? Who says that, who defines who we are? Is it what we have? Is it what others say about us? What our friends say about us? Is it what God says about us? What voices inform that opinion 
in your own life? Because I'm going to kind of start with the end in mind this morning. I think there's three specific lies that if we're not careful that we fall into when it comes to defining success, when it comes to defining who it is that we're living for. And the first one is that you're not good enough. The first lie I think the enemy uses to distract us, to take us away from our God-given mission, is that we're not good enough. The second is that we're not working hard enough. The second is that it all depends on us, and if we just try harder, we'll see the result that we want to see. And the third is that our past and our failures have disqualified us from the mission of God. So I want to start with the end of mind. Those are the three lies that we're going to dive into this morning. The first is that you're not good enough. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 18, we're going to see, or sorry, starting in verse 13, we're going to see uh, Peter's confession of the Christ and dive into that first lie of you're not good enough. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do these men say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered him and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Friends, how many of us this morning want to hear our coach and our king say that to us? We want to hear that I choose you, you are valuable, you are wanted, you are a part of the team, and I see greatness in you. One of my favorite things to do this time of year, and Melissa will tell you because she absolutely hates it, is to watch the March Madness tournament. I love March Madness. My dad and I went to Vegas uh, for opening weekend and got to watch a bunch of games, and I've been watching games on my phone. My kids and I were huddled on my bed watching the Duke game when they almost lost the first time. They've done that a couple times now. But um, I love March Madness. And there's a story about a player on Florida State who I'm going to butcher his name terribly, so I'm not even going to attempt it. Uh, But his last name is Cabin Jelly, I believe. Uh, You can look up his first name and maybe you can teach me how to pronounce it. But he's Florida State's leading scorer during the regular season, the ACC tournament, and leads the team in the NCAA tournament, despite coming off the bench in all 36 games. The 6'10", 250-pound Canadian native easily won the ACC's Sixth Man of the Year award. He's the first D1 player to lead his team in scoring without any starts since Alcorn State Regional Johnson in 2017. Cabin Jelly has nearly doubled his production from last season. The sophomore averages 13.4 points to lead a balanced attack. He can score in a variety of ways, including 24 three-pointers, a team-high 179 free-throw attempts, 137 makes, and he shoots nearly 54% inside of the arc. Now, what in the world does that have with who do you say that I am? His coach saw greatness in him when he didn't see it himself. His coach drew out the talent that he didn't even know was there to double your point production from one year to the next, to lead the team in scoring off the bench? Are you kidding me? That's not heard of. That's not how this game works. You have your starting five, and they're the ones that play, and then you have everyone else that plays when they're tired. That's how it works. Leads the team in scoring from the bench. His coach saw greatness in him and called it out. Friends, 
I want to reveal to you a truth that we all know, but my question is, do we live like it? See, in Genesis, God says that he created man and woman in his own image. You were created in the image of God. When your coach, when your king looks at you, he sees greatness in you because he sees himself in you. This process of sanctification that we go through in life is nothing more than Jesus continuing to draw more and more of himself out of us and get rid of more and more of the junk of us that gets in the way. Your coach knows there's greatness in you because he's in you. You see, Peter's qualification wasn't because he was the best looking. It wasn't because he was the tallest. It wasn't because he was the smartest. It wasn't because he made the best decisions all the time. In fact, the Gospels are full of times where Pete didn't make the best decisions, and we're going to get into one of those later on today. Peter heard his coach speak value and mission into his life because he was listening because he was available to be used by God and because he was created in the image of God. Friends, I ask us this morning, can we do those three things? Can we listen? Can we be obedient? Because all of us are created in the image of God. That one's a given. See, there's nothing that you need to be able to be used by God that you don't have right now. Do you have ears? Yes. Do you have the ability to listen and respond? Yes. That's what Peter's qualifications were based off of. But see, there's this crazy thing when it comes to listening, because listening involves not talking. (laughs) Listening involves being quiet. Listening involves making sure that we still our own hearts to listen to what the Spirit's speaking to us. You see, when Jesus gave Peter his admonition, It says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, Pete had to be quiet before God long enough to hear God say those things to his heart and to respond to them. See, I think it's both encouraging and terrifying that God doesn't call the capable. He calls those that will listen and be obedient. It's encouraging because all of us can do it, but it's kind of terrifying because... It requires something that's so contrary to our day-to-day. See, we try really, 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 really hard to be busy. We try really hard to make things, sure things are going so fast that we never have a chance to slow down and address anything. We just want to go, 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 go. I'm so excited because my mother-in-law bought us a sign that goes in our family room up on the wall that says, Be present. Be present. What does that mean? It means slow down. It means be where you are. Listen. Be attentive. Be one who's not just going haphazardly throughout life, but pay attention. See, Pete's qualification wasn't based on anything that was exterior, but was based on his ability to listen, his ability to respond, and the fact that he was made in the image of God. All of us in this room have those same characteristics. All of us are made in the image of God. All of us have the ability to listen if we'll slow down. And all of us also have the ability to respond. But what what gets in the way? One of those ones is that you're not good enough. We've addressed that it's not because of your qualifications at all. It's because of the Spirit of God in you. In fact, that's a good thing. 
Because then when it goes right, you recognize it's not me, it's God. There's nothing in me that's worthy of our king, but there's everything about our king that's worthy of everything I can give him. The lie that you're not good enough, the lie that you don't have what it takes is exactly that. Identify that as a work of the enemy and rebuke that in Jesus' name. My king says that I'm good enough. My king says I have value. My king says that what he needs of me, I have. We can walk in that confidence. And the second one sounds kind of counterintuitive. The second lie that I want to address this morning is that you're not working hard enough. And this seems kind of counterintuitive, and I want to develop this for a while this morning, because what I'm not saying, let me be very clear, what I'm not saying is that we need to be lazy Christians. It's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I believe wholeheartedly that we are to do everything in our power to run this race that God's given us with excellence, with the best of what we have, with all of our time, all of our attention, all of our energy. I believe that he calls us to that, and he's worthy of that. But where I've found myself at in certain points of my life is that there's a rhythm to grace. There's a pace of grace. There was one of the pastors at C3 that we talked, or that we listened to their sermon, talked about how he found himself outrunning God. He found himself trying to get ahead of God and be like, okay, God, I've got it. You can, you, can, you can relax. I've got it from here. And he tried to run this race without God, not intentionally, but he's just trying to say, I, I've got it. I can do it. I imagine, and this is just my own mind, this is not anything other than that, so there's a disclaimer. I imagine the disciples coming to Jesus, saying, hey, you know, Jesus, if we got some chariots and some horses, and we rode around from town to town, we could probably get there a lot faster. We could see more people. We could heal more people. We could, we could accomplish so much more if we just went faster. I could think about that in my own mind from a, from a business standpoint. It's like, how do we increase efficiency? How do we get this thing dialed in and running like a well-oiled machine? And Jesus says, we're walking. We're walking. And it's, I, why? We don't have to. Wheels and chariots, horses exist. Why are we walking? And see, what I think that the answer to that is we walk so we stay in step and in tune with Jesus. It's impossible to be running, at least for me, maybe not for some of you that are in better shape, but it's impossible for me to be running and listening at the same time. When I am running, I am focused as much as possible on trying to not die. <laughs> That's it. But when we're walking, when we slow our pace, when we're paying attention, when we're present, we know where God's leading us and we can respond to that. You see, Peter had an example of when he got out ahead of God's timing that we're going to look at this morning. When Jesus was arrested in the garden in John 18, said, uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus met with his disciples there often. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground, 
What an awesome picture. This has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, but what an awesome picture. Just at the name of Jesus, they fall to the ground. What a beautiful name it is. What power there is in the name of Jesus that even at his confession of who he is, they fall to the ground. Then he asked them again, who are you seeking? And then they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that it may be fulfilled which he spoke. Of these who gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, good old, good old Pete, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. See, when we find ourselves getting out ahead of God's timing, we do things that aren't in God's plan. When we find ourselves getting out ahead of God's timing, we find ourselves that feel like just fighting against the grain. It's exhausting. We're not seeing victory. We're tired. It feels like everything is an uphill battle. And friends, let me be clear as well too. There are times where you have to climb and you are in the center of where God wants you to be and it's time to put your head down and do the work. But there are also times where we're not listening, where we're running and trying not to die and we're not listening to what the Spirit's saying to us. And the reason why it's so hard is we've gotten in front of God's timing. There's a story about that from my own life. Um, I try not to tell too many people about where I came from before Texas because sometimes it's elicit a response from people that isn't good. But I came from California, and uh, when I lived in California, one of my dreams that I've had for years and 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 years is to be a chaplain with the police department. I wanted it so bad. I knew that God had spoken, that that's what I was supposed to do, and so I pursued it as much as I could. I would even venture to say today that I ran. It wasn't a walking and listening. It was a God said, so I'm going. He's back here, but I'm going. I took a 12-week course at the police department called their Citizens on Patrol program, um, and it was awesome. Every time I got home, I was excited about it. I would tell Melissa about it. I was like, yes, this looks great. This is going to be my in. I'll be able to do chaplaincy with the department. It's going to be awesome. And I was, I was ecstatic. Got to the end of the course. They said, so what do you want to do? I mean, you don't really seem like the average guy. You know, I said, I want to be a chaplain. I'm a licensed pastor. I want to be a chaplain. That's, that's what I think that I could be good at. I want to be a friend of officers. I want to be an encouragement and be a resource for the community. I want, I want to be a chaplain. I said, all right, that's great. Let me put you in touch with the head chaplain. They did that. It was awesome. We had coffee, had a meeting with the chief. I thought it went super well. I got a call about a week later. I said, hey, we've decided to go a different direction. I was devastated. I, I didn't get it. I was frustrated. I said, God, why would you have me go through all this stuff just to close the door? That doesn't make any sense. About... A month later, at the most, maybe less than that, my uh, dad pulled me into his office at our business, said, hey, uh, I'm thinking about moving to Texas. I said, have fun, bye. <laughs> I'm staying in California. See, the reason why that didn't work out is because I was running and not walking. I was never intended to do chaplaincy work in California because God knew the rest of the story. God knew that we would buy a home in Ovilla, Texas, some town that I'd never even heard of. 
<laughs> Some two months later, friends, what door has God closed in your life that it feels like you are just so devastated about? And my question is maybe, are you finding yourselves running when God's called you to walk? Are you finding yourself striving when God's called you to be obedient? Today, I'm one of the chaplains for Ovilla Police Department, and I am so proud of that department. I'm so excited to be a part of what God's doing in our city. I'm so excited to be able to meet and interact with those officers. It is an incredible thing. But it's him, not me. It's got to be. Because when we find ourselves trying to make it about us and our efforts and our striving and everything else, we don't have what it takes. When we're tapping into God's direction, God's strength, God's plan for our life, the resources are limitless. The resources of heaven are at your back to accomplish the mission that God's given you. It's not about working harder. It's not about just trying to plow through It's about being obedient. It's about listening, which is really hard for me sometimes. I want to just go. Let's just go and do, and it'll be awesome. But go and doing sometimes results in cutting off people's ears. Go and doing sometimes results in trying to plug yourselves into a situation where you don't belong. And it's for good reason. Police officers are some of the least trusting individuals in the world for good reason. They deal with the just nastiest, disgusting stuff on a regular basis, have people lie to their faces constantly, and it makes it really hard for them to trust people. What kind of message would it have spoken to those officers if I went to them and said, yes, I want to be here, I want to invest in you, I want to be a part of this community, I want, I'm, I'm committed 110%. Oh, and by the way, a month later I have to leave. That doesn't work. (laughs) That's the kind of cutting off ear type situations that we find ourselves in when we're just trying to press instead of being obedient and listening to God. See, it's not just about how to work harder. It's not about that at all. But it's about how do we put ourselves in a position where we can listen to God, where we can hear his plan for our lives, And then we can put all of our energy and resource of heaven behind that plan. And the third lie that keeps us from living out our potential as the redeemed children of God is that our past failures and mistakes have disqualified us. See, this one's one's hard. This one's difficult because this gets personal. This gets painful. It requires taking an inventory of our own lives and looking at the areas that we haven't surrendered to Jesus, the areas that are the mistakes, the painful parts. But see, after Jesus was crucified, what happened to Peter is he went back to fishing. When Jesus is resurrected, he finds Pete fishing in a boat. He had gone from this person who Jesus said, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church to fishing. Why is that? 
Well, it's because of what happened when he denies Christ. It's because of what happens to our souls. When we know we've been called, we know that there's a God, we know he has a plan for our lives, but there's this junk in our lives that keeps us from living out that mission that he's given us. See, Peter couldn't live out his potential until he addressed his past. Peter couldn't walk forward boldly with confidence in what God had for him until he addressed the situation that had devastated his life. This person that he had sworn allegiance to, this person on the same day he says, if all everyone denies you in the world, I won't do it. That's what he said to Jesus face to face, and it was a matter of hours until he did the opposite. That kind of betrayal leaves a mark. Sin leaves a mark in our lives. Is that true? I want us to check out a video that uh, I found in preparing for the message today that kind of helps draw us into the emotion of Peter's experience. They say a rooster crowing is God's wake-up call. Yeah, that's, uh, at least that's the way it was for me. Everything, that, that whole night was a blur, all right? Um, I didn't comprehend, none of us could comprehend everything that was going on, all right? We were all in the upper room, Jesus was washing our feet. Um, then we were in the garden, Jesus goes off to pray by himself. I fell asleep. I'm not proud of it. I had a big meal. Bread makes me sleepy. Next thing we know, me, James, and John, Jesus is in our face, and he's trying to wake us up, and uh, he said, um, what is he? he said, uh, the, the, uh, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, and, and then before we know it, Judas is kissing Jesus on the cheek. I try to go help him. I cut off this guard's ear. For the record, I wasn't aiming for his ear. I'm a fisherman, not a swordsman. And then they, uh, they arrest Jesus, and they take him off, and we... We ran. And it wasn't but two hours earlier that we were in the upper room. I was looking at him. I was looking him right in the eye saying, if everyone disowns you, Jesus, I won't. I'm with you. I love you. And I think that's what made me stop, turn around, go back. And uh, I caught a glimpse of Jesus as they were taking him to the high priest's house. Stood at the gate, and some girl comes up to me, starts pointing at me, starts going, you, you're with him. You're with this man that claims to be the son of God. You're one of his disciples. I felt like every eye was on me. So I just brushed her off. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. You got the wrong guy. I get my way into the courtyard, and uh, it's cold. I, I try to warm up by the fire. And then there's this guy that recognizes me, and he is uh, from the ear incident, you know, and starts going, get him, get him, he's with him. Just arrest him, get him. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, all right? I wasn't with him. It was easier the second time to deny him. 
It was sometime right before morning, and um, this wise guy, he comes up to me and goes, Who are you kidding, all right? Who are you fooling? You're with him. I can tell by your accent. I'm like, this is just the way I talk, all right? And, and the whole night, they kept pushing him around. They kept beating him. They kept spitting on him, throwing insults at him, and I couldn't take it anymore. I had enough. I was tired of people accusing me, looking at me, and I, and I just I said a few things that I'm not proud of, but I was like, leave him alone. You don't know what you're doing, all right? Just leave him alone. I wasn't with him. And that's when I heard the most blood-curdling sound I ever heard in my whole life. I heard that rooster crow. And at that moment, Jesus, he turns around and he looks at me. He looks at me. And his gaze, you can't escape his gaze. I mean, when his eyes are on you, you cannot escape it. And they arrested him and they took him off. I will die with you, Jesus. If everyone, if everybody disowns you, I will die with you. What a, what a joke! I mean, what would you do? At that moment, at that time, I ran. I ran so fast. I ran so long. And you know what they did? They killed him. He's dead. How many of you can see yourself in Pete's shoes? I can. Not proud of it. But that's the message of the gospel. That God sent his son, Jesus, to die for a whole bunch of people that didn't deserve it, that weren't worthy of it, but that he loved so much that he wanted to redeem See, it takes that level of transparency, that level of brokenness, that, that amount of recognizing how messed up our lives have gotten, how far away from God we feel, how desperate the situation seems like to look into the eyes of Jesus and expect to see condemnation and see nothing but grace. To expect to see just disappointment and see love. To expect to see, to be criticized, to be ridiculed, that's not the experience at all. But it takes being real with where we're at for God to be able to use us to go forward. See, Pete was never going to be able to get past this moment of betrayal until he stood before Jesus expecting condemnation but receiving grace. In my life, as well as in yours, we have to get to that point with Jesus where we trust him 
where we're vulnerable before him, where we're real about where we've been, about what's in our past, where we take our heads from here and look up and meet his eyes. Because it's only in that moment, it's only when you look into the eyes of Jesus in your pain, it's only when you look into the eyes of Jesus when you're real with where you're at and who, what's inside of here, that he can take that flesh and breathe life into it again. See, the story doesn't end with Peter's denial. The story doesn't end where that video ends. In John 21, verse 15, Jesus restores Peter. They find him fishing in a boat. He calls him in. They eat breakfast together. And starting in verse 15, it said, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. See, it's often been said that because Peter denied him three times, Jesus restores him three times. And see, that same Jesus is the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever, is the same Jesus that wants to speak into your life this morning. In those places where you feel like you've let him down, in those places that you feel like you haven't lived up to his call, in those places that you feel like you've betrayed him, he wants to look you in the eyes and show you what's in his eyes. He wants to define who you are. Who do you say that I am, Jesus? That's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. Who does Jesus say that we are? Not our insecurities, not the world, not the stuff that we have, not our failures, but Jesus. And it's a scary thing to be that vulnerable before the God of the universe, but it's only in that level of vulnerability and brokenness that Jesus can restore. See, the end of the story is that Pete goes on to be exactly what Jesus called him in the beginning. He goes on to be a rock, an instrumental in the early church, and us gathering today is in part because of Peter. Because of a coach that called out a kid that didn't see it in him. Because of one who was oftentimes trying to get ahead of Jesus, but decided to slow down, to be obedient, to listen, and to respond. See, that's the key. Are we listening and responding, or are we just charging ahead? Pete was willing to get gut-level honest before God, address his brokenness, and allow God to restore See, I want to read us a passage out of the message as we get ready to close this morning. And I'm going to do it on my phone, so forgive me. Because I think 
It speaks to this tension that we feel in this moment of knowing where we are, the kinds of people that we are, and the God who we're called to serve. It's Romans 8. It says, With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fateful lifetime of a brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us in an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him as well. So what do you think? With God on our sides like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare to even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone's going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing... Nothing living nor dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. See, those words are written by the Apostle Paul. Paul also had his own story about his own brokenness and his own rebellion against God in his own moment where he had to lift his eyes and be terrified of the reaction he'd get from Jesus only to be met with grace, with love, with acceptance, and with a commissioning for a whole new direction. Friends, that's what I invite us to this morning. I invite you during this next song, this response song, our, our uh, ministry leader is going to be here in the front to pray with you or to pray even in your seat, whatever you feel led to do. But if you're finding yourselves unable to go forward because you're concerned about what's here, meet the eyes of Jesus and let him speak to your heart and remind you of who you are. You're not who you think you are. You're his son. You're his daughter. You are called. You are equipped. You have been given the resources of heaven to live out that calling with great boldness, with great confidence, with great conviction and great passion. Nothing can stand against. That's what the scripture says, nothing. 
Let's respond to him this morning. Lord, as we evaluate our own lives, as we think about where we're at in this journey, God, as we wrestle with our own failures, our own insecurities, our own places where we feel like we've let you down, Lord, I pray that we would see those times in light of who you are. Lord, I pray that maybe even for the first time that we would let our brokenness be seen before you, and Lord, that we let you into the most vulnerable and painful parts of our lives, because it's then that you can heal them. It's then that you can put your peace where we feel chaos. God, may you remind us who and whose we are this morning. We are children of God, made in the image of God, with a mission from God, and the resources from God to carry it out. Lord, may we, may, may we be ones who take a stand for you in this generation. In our workplace, in our homes. Lord, may we meet you in our brokenness. And may that compassion and love that we experience from you compel us to live out your vision for our lives. to be that rock that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.